The Spin-Off Podcast Network. You're listening to Business is Boring, a podcast that reckons it's anything but. Business is Boring is brought to you by SparkLab, offering inspiration and practical advice to help businesses find their edge. To hear more about SparkLab, including details about the latest events, workshops, and business tools, visit sparklab.co.nz. And now, here's your host, Simon Pound. You're listening to Business Is Boring, a podcast that reckons it's anything but. Business Is Boring is made by The Spin-Off with help from Callaghan Innovation, New Zealand's innovation agency. Here's your host, Simon Pound. In the future, they might just look back on this period we are living in as the oil age in the same way that we look back at the stone age. Fossil fuel, or oil-derived stuff, is used at some point in the production, transport and materials of pretty much everything in the world. And it isn't just the obvious stuff. Most advanced chemicals used as part of building things, coating things and synthesising things are fossil fuel-derived. And this reliance is pretty obviously a big problem. Oil dependency has created perverse political and social outcomes, enriched and impoverished nations at the same time, and the impact on the climate is an actual disaster. But perhaps it doesn't have to be this way. There are really exciting emerging scientific methods and practices to be able to produce these materials we're hooked on as a society, but in ways that leave fossil fuel in the ground and in the process get more value out of an abundant renewable resource here in Aotearoa pine trees, which is a super cool idea. Oil is pretty much trees plus time, and today we're talking to Kiwi company Futurity, who are at the forefront of finding a way to cut out that middle part of time. They're in the process of bringing a biorefinery to Tairawhiti, Gisborne, that would use new techniques to break pine down into its building block chemicals that then become platform chemicals that can be used for plastics, resins and all sorts of applications today provided by oil derivatives. It's an awesomely ambitious project that I've been lucky enough to see up close a bit as my work has helped with the branding. It's aiming to create jobs, increase the value we get for timber grown here and help keep carbon in the ground. Co-founders Jacob Kahn and Dr Gatano Deadwell join us now to talk the science, goals and the ways the system needs to improve. Tēnā koutou, how are you going? Very well, thank you. Very good, thank you. Hey, thanks for being here today. Um, what led you guys to an interest in these bio-based chemicals? Because uh, it's a, a pretty interesting and, and new area of, uh, of interest. So really uh, what, what brought us to that was um, just thinking about how every day you're surrounded by materials, um, coatings and um, products that you don't even realize are actually from oil and fossil fuels. Um, they're everywhere around us, you know, on this table, on this chair, within the microphone. Um, and sometimes we're a bit disconnected of where these actually come from. And with, you know, the 
movements towards more sustainable practices and the obvious depletion of oil reserves, there has to be a transition to sourcing these materials from another place. Um, and that's what really provided the genesis for um, for myself, especially into looking in bio-based materials and bio-based chemicals. Um, one, one sort of application that always astonished me was saying within the vanilla flavoring um, industry that you know, o- over 90% of this is derived from oil and this is a, you know, a product that we consume and some people daily. Um, so yeah, it's always been a very interesting um, area to look into and just think about where these materials can come from and trees being an excellent choice in, in our eyes and New Zealand's really having a huge opportunity within that space. And that was actually where you did your PhD uh, research, isn't it? In that space of how to turn trees into something uh, that oil would normally be providing. Yeah, yeah. So I was down in um, Canterbury and spent um, four years knocking my head against the wall trying to (laughs) finish that PhD. And um, yeah, really came to the end of it and thought, wow, the scope of this is massive. And um, through linking up with... Jacob and uh, Rupert as well, uh, we founded Futurity and that really provided the stepping stone to where we are now to explore that and look at what commercially available technologies are out there and bring something back to New Zealand to, to make it a reality. And, and what were you actually, so you were trying to kind of do it yourself in a certain kind of sense through your, your research and did that lead you to go actually maybe there's something we can get off the shelf that will be uh, a bit quicker and easier to get going. Yeah, yeah. So I was um, down in Canterbury and had to build my own reactor for the for the project. So that was you know over fifty percent of the actual um, thesis was basically building a customized reactor to react wood with um, a special gas to see what products come out. Um, and that was you know a significant undertaking of with itself. And you know by the end of it you're thinking, how can we scale this? You know, how can we make this actually something commercial and something that will make products en masse and be reliable? And yeah, that's really my where my appreciation for, say, bio-based chemicals and engineering and bringing those together really, really started from. And how about you, Jacob? Your background um, was kind of more of a design-led approach, hey? Yeah, yeah. So uh, product, product designer by trade and uh, through that process, you have an inherent understanding of the complexities that go into creating a product or, um, you know, the way it's manufactured or how that's used or potentially recycled or composted or, you know, what that end of life choice is going to be. And inherently, there's so much waste in, in that industry. And I was getting really frustrated with, with uh, what I was seeing. So was very interested in trying to make a positive change in that direction. And uh, you, you come to recognize that it's it's not just the you know, the way products are made or the, the materials it's made from, but the business models that surround them as well. So we linked up with Rupert Patterson and Gitano and sort of butted our heads together and recognised that New Zealand has this incredible opportunity with the renewable forestry resource we have. And, yeah, we're here now. And and along the way, that, that where you mentioned the way things are designed with the models around them, because uh, so much is just made with no thought about the end of life yep. like it's kind of they'll look back in the future they really will at this this time and go well they they put a lot of energy into making stuff and they wasted a lot of energy because they just get remaking stuff instead of getting the value back or reusing 
or even having a responsibility or a thought about about that. Hey, and and that that kind of um, start towards circular thinking uh, is kind of part of the general idea, isn't it? Exactly. And I think I think people have been very preoccupied by trying to achieve the performance of a you know a shoe that runs incredibly fast, and there's no sort of recognition of what's going to happen to that shoe or the materials it's made from at the end of its life. So, you know, we're, we're trying to take the approach that you can achieve that high level of performance in engineering while, while not compromising of, on the end of life whatsoever and, you know, making sure that those materials are derived from a renewable resource. So, as you're saying, it, it, it creates that circular approach. Yeah, and at the moment, all the incentives aren't pointing in the right direction. The, the incentives basically say, make new stuff. And there's no, there's not really the incentives to go gather it back, recycle it losslessly, uh, make sure that you're responsible as the producer for where it ends up. Exactly, exactly. And how did how did that come together? You know, those interests in the the science side of it, and then also that kind of um, societal level uh, approach around pine. How does that come together into a goal to make a pyro refinery? It's. It's a very holistic approach and you can't focus too much on one aspect because I think you know, when, you, when you're trying to achieve something that has, has a net positive impact in a whole variety of different areas, you have to look at this, every, every stakeholder from you know, the society, the community, uh, iwi and, and, and regional stakeholders that allow you to have something that you know, not, not just benefits the products and the materials that you're creating but the people that use them and the people in the community where that biorefinery might reside and you know the people in the forestry industry where those trees are coming from and yeah it's a it's a very important holistic approach that we've tried to take with this project so yeah tell us what the project is like what what's the goal and how does a biorefinery work so um, <clears throat> the biorefinery is basically quite a quite a loose term um, and it's used to basically take any natural feedstock as we call it in the industry um, so that's basically um, anything that's biologically derived. So uh, you know, a tree is planted and it grows, and then that can be used as our um, feedstock into into the biofinery. Um, and that basically works through taking that wood, um, stripping back the bark to um, produce a bark-free chip that we, then we feed through our process um, that takes steam, some... Uh, low concentration chemicals and um, enzymes to basically produce our nanofibrillated cellulose and lignin fractions, as well as a biogas stream, um, which is produced to essentially produce uh, steam to power the whole process. So those three things that are produced, the, uh, the, the building block things there, are they, are they the exact same kind of chemicals that people would otherwise be using oil-based derivatives to get to, or how do they fit into the picture? Yeah, so they're, they're fundamentally different than oil. Um, they're quite a different sort of class of chemicals, but um, in their application, we, there's a whole different range of um, you know processes where they can be, say, dropped in for something. So that would be a complete substitution, and you know, with no change of process. And then there's other other times where there has to be some modification to bring that in. And that's the exciting thing of working with um, companies that are, you know, future facing is is working alongside them and saying, you know, 
this material, we we see this huge benefit in these properties. Like, how can we integrate it in there? And there might be a you know one or two steps or no steps to get there, but um, it's 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 essentially quite similar to just how materials are approached with today. You know how they make them work. You think of the abundance of different plastics there are in the world. They all come from oil, and they've all been um, processed to to get to that. Yeah, there's there's some really exciting and inherent advantages of the materials that we're utilising, which you know oil cannot compete with, and it achieves a higher level of performance and flexibility because of the the natural advantages that that tree material has. So, for instance, um, we're working with a Swedish institute who take our nanofibrillated cellulose product, and cellulose provides a lot of the strength in a tree. So depending on where that cellulose is positioned within a tree, a branch, or if that tree's under stress, the tree will uh, make that cellulose stronger or less strong depending on where it is. So it can behave like Kevlar or cotton. So the Swedish Institute have some technology which allows it, uh, them to spin this nanocellulose into a fibre and, and they've managed to uh, undertake the same process as a tree naturally would. So we can produce a material that's like Kevlar or cotton, depending on what we want to target in terms of the market. So, you know, you can't you can't achieve that with oil. That's remarkable. And those three kind of elements that uh, you're deriving from the tree, what kind of percentage of the tree do those kind of make up together? Yeah, so cellulose um, is about 45%, lignin's about 30 and then we've got hemicellulose at about 25 and then there's the, the rest of the percentages left over are um, other compounds, say extractives, sap, and um, yeah, other products that we look to try and um, remove from the, from the process. And when you say that it's like um, enzymes and, and steam and the like, like what does a biorefinery look like? Because we've had people on before who've um, done things like uh, retrieve gold from uh, computer parts and the like. And they were describing it as like a great big vat that you chuck it into and then you get what you want out of it, which sounds pretty magic. Yeah, I think it's um, very. It's going to be very similar to that, um, except there's going to be a whole bunch of different vats because you think, you know, you start with a, um, a log and then all of a sudden you've got three products coming out and then those three products come to three different products and then they fractionate down. So um, there's a lot of splitting, splitting up, and it's it's essentially just, yeah, big vats. Um, there's also quite a few screw presses, which are basically um, screws and barrels, quite similar to, say, what they use in the um, plastics industry. And, um, yeah, a lot of a lot of steam and holding tanks is essentially, is essentially all there is. And why, why pine? Like, is pine a particularly, uh, you, you know, good source material, or is it that it's abundant, or is it that we just grow a lot of it and a lot of it just ends up being slash that sits on the ground or gets in rivers? All, all of the above, I think. It's it's an incredibly fast-growing tree. Uh, New Zealand has a huge forestry estate, which um, is a, around 25-year rotations, which means that you know it's incredibly abundant and there's sustainable cut rates. So in a lot of places, the amount that's been harvested, you know, there's enough new trees to revitalise that stock. So we see that as being an incredible opportunity for New Zealand. New Zealand being an island nation means that that estate's really close to ports and locations where we can process the wood. Um, and yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a great material that we can compete internationally in the bio-based material space with. And at the moment, as I understand it, 
most of the pine that we make is sent off with very, very little processing, pretty much just what raw logs. Yeah, yeah. We we think that this is a really underutilised resource. Um, there's a lot of sentiment, especially from the government and um, other prominent leaders at the moment, that uh, New Zealand should do more domestic processing. And we think that currently a lot of the products that we produce in New Zealand don't derive high enough value outputs that allow them to compete on the international market for the price of wood. So by... Uh, enabling these higher value production facilities and higher value products we, we can actually compete directly with china and there's no need to regulate the market or or mess with the free market so for example if there's currently you know uh forestry resource being sent off as unfinished logs just raw they you know just t- take the branches off and, and send them overseas and then other people are adding all that value yeah would it be more valuable you know, sell it for a higher price to be able to put it into a biorefinery like this. Yeah, exactly. And and the other thing that uh, a lot of people may not know is that half of a tree is water. So half of what we're sending offshore is just water. Um, and, and the parallel benefit of that is if we're creating all of these raw materials such as nanofibrillated cellulose and lignin uh, in New Zealand, that allows a whole lot of other subsequent industries and companies to establish themselves around those biorefineries, whether whether they make clothes or produce plastics or paint or anything like that, um, we can supply them those materials. They can establish other facilities and create more jobs and stimulus in country. And then we can, you know, as, as a bio-based manufacturing hub, you know, lead, lead the world in the circular economy. Yeah, and, and, just, and just on that as well, I think one of the, the really awesome things with, um, <clears throat> with the biorefinery is Unlike you know, say the, the say the timber industry, the the grade of the wood doesn't matter for us. So, um, looking at taking in slash wood and wood that's left on site, um, you know, what I like to say is, as long as we can remove the bark, we can use it. So, there's also some hugely you know positive social and environmental um, benefits from from engaging with you know forest owners and and people that want to try to resolve some of these issues that are around forestry as well. Yeah, and Tairawhiti Gisborne, where the um the, the plants proposed for. I mean, a lot of people would have seen the images of after the big floods and all of the slash coming down from the forestry estate and being on Tolaga Bay and in and, and, and the waterways and the like. It must be a, a really pressing issue down there. T- tell us about that kind of relationship with um, the economic development agencies down there. Yeah, so so we've been very fortunate enough to have uh, support from Trust Tide from the very early stages who saw the value in what we're trying to achieve. Um, and yeah, it's been a great, great relationship so far. And um, they've got other uh, wood processing facilities in Gisborne, uh, traditional sawmills, and um, that complementary benefit. Uh, we don't directly target the grades that those sawmills are going for. We go for either the waste product or the lower value grades, which allows us to potentially co-locate with with that sawmill, and then we can utilise the waste and more of the resource that's coming off the slopes and in Gisborne and look to reduce that waste that has the potential to flow into rivers. If you love the spin-off, the best way to show it is to become part of the spin-off members. This is the fund that helps us keep free and accessible to all without a paywall. It also funds some of our most important and acclaimed journalism. Check it out through the spin-off. And the jobs element, I imagine, uh, 
is another bit of this because forestry is a big employer across the east coast, isn't it? Yeah, it's about one in four families in Tairawhiti, Gisborne are relying on forestry. So um, it's the the one of the other challenges with predominantly exporting logs to China is you're very exposed to um, China's uh, you know decision on how much logs they do or don't want you know month by month, and that has obviously caused significant volatility in the industry. And as we've seen through um, Chinese New Year recently and COVID nineteen, that that's caused some significant job loss losses. Yeah, and it's not something you can just kind of keep felling and stack up as as you mentioned. They're fifty percent water. They take up an enormous amount of room. Yeah, and, and the level of machinery and um, resource that has to go and setting those operations up to uh, get wood off off the hills efficiently. It's a it's a really slow train to hard train to slow down. And so what kind of stage is uh, the science at? Because you were mentioning it's kind of world leading. Um, but there are there are kind of like a, 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 there's EU projects to get these things happening in the world at the moment, aren't there? Yeah, so um, <clears throat> both of our partners, um, Sweetwater Energy and MetGen, um, are both active in pro- um, providing technology for the project called Sweetwoods, which is a biorefinery um, within Estonia that's being constructed. And um, they basically provide the, the, the core, say, technology to produce um, materials from that biorefinery site and is really their, their flagship site for, for the, the biorefinery there. And um, that's going to be a, a significant um, validation point for that technology there as well because that, that, that elevates that technology and shows that it's demonstrable at scale we have no doubts that it is but um as a, as a real awesome showpiece and really can strengthen our business case to show that the technology is mature that it's in action and yeah we're, we're, we're very lucky to be working with them and they've been yeah great great partners all along that have been very supportive of us um and with with them we've been working with their pilot plant facilities which is essentially just a small scale of their technology and um we've sent over about two ton of wood over to be processed to actually come back to new zealand and then that will be our you know, lignin and nfc um products that are actually the products that are made from wood that was located in Gisborne and we can hold them in our hands and say this is you know this is very close to what we're going to be making at our site. Is is pine something that they don't have like you know it feels funny to be sending trees to uh, Estonia but is the pine here special or unique in some way? Yeah so there's basically that well yeah I think one of the big things to remember in um in the biorefinery space and using these biological materials is that there's just variation in everything. And that's that comes with huge advantages and some disadvantages as well. Um, but one, one significant proof point that we really wanted to um, solidify was, you know, there's nothing stronger than sending over wood from New Zealand to prove it. Um, there are some pine species, but that's always leaving that gap of assumptions that, and you're never really certain in what that's going to be. But that's that's really a, a key you know, scientific rigor that we wanted to, to undertake there to prove that this is what, how it operates and there's a whole bunch of optimization, process conditions and a um, whole lot of technical, <laughs> technical stuff that goes on in the background that is, is basically built around 
Pinus radiata from New Zealand. You know, there's there's variations that you find even in um, trees that are grown close to the the sea line or in the back in, in the back blocks in mainland. So it's 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 interesting to see how um how different that they can be. And in terms of that kind of, you know, the outputs of it when you're saying to be able to hold something in your hand, there's actually a Callahan pilot that you've got going on, hey, because you were mentioning that the um, that the building blocks that you're working with have similar applications, but aren't actually the same as the current kind of, you know, petrol-based or petroleum or oil-derived ones at the moment. So, yeah, what kind of stuff has to be done on the supply side to get these big producers of things using these these things right now to be able to, to use these? Yeah, we're, we're really pleased to announce that we've just successfully um, been had a research grant with Callahan Innovation accepted for just under half a million dollars and Callahan are funding uh, the full 40% of the potential allocation that we could receive for that project. And the whole aim of that is to take these materials that we've proven we can produce with New Zealand wood and bring that back and work with prominent leading New Zealand companies to integrate those products into their supply chains and prove that you know we can improve the environmental profile of their products so that ourselves and these companies can take that to the world. Um, one of the companies is Resine, and the nanocellulose is a really great thickener and stabilising agent, so we're able to potentially um, replace some of these materials that they have to import from offshore uh, and provide them a, a more environmentally friendly alternative that can hopefully improve their products. And yeah, that's that's just one one example of a whole whole range of different things that we're working on under that project. And like, it sounds like quite a lot to kind of um, you, you know you've got a new technology, a new process involving uh, enzymes, um, but building out kind of new new markets and supply chain, and building a great big buddy biorefinery and the like. Yeah, like, um, how, how do you kind of pull it all all together and and work on that? Yeah, I think one of the one of the very important things there is to make sure you're surrounded by the right people. I think that's uh, you know it's fundamental to, to where we're at, and um, you know we're very well supported by our partners and um, you know for for also our partners for the Callahan Grant, also technology partners, um, and you know just a consortium of people within New Zealand as well, from Scion, Trust Tairafati, Callahan, MPI. Um, it, it, it's really amazing once you start um, you know, asking the questions and engaging with people how receptive people are and how much they're willing to help you. And, you know, you can bring them on the journey with you. And I think that, you know, engaging with those people and um, talking to them and, um yeah, outlying some of the issues that you're having really helps to to bring things together. Yeah, we've got a, a wealth of knowledge here in New Zealand, and it's been awesome to engage with people along the way. Yeah, so at what kind of scale does it start to outperform oil on a price factor as well? Um, so the scale that we're looking at operating in is about eighty thousand tons of dry um, wood. So that's about one hundred sixty thousand tons of logs that you'd cut down on site. Um, and that gives us a scale that we're we're comfortable with that you know we can start to to produce these materials that c- can be um, you know economically viable for um, integration into supply chains. Uh, one of the challenges you have is that the oil industry is such a big industry that you need to you need to be established quite quite large to um, to infiltrate that. So 
yeah, from some of the you know some of the modeling and work that we've done in that that financial um, section of the the business, that's that's proven a bit of a sweet point, and it might you know it might increase a little bit or decrease around there, but that's sort of the the, the area that we would expect the the plant to fall under. And then is the goal to put more of these in places where you have that sweet spot of uh, forestry, uh, ports, job creation. Uh, yeah, it sounds like a sitter for like a um, you know regional development grant kind of zone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, I think look, it's a great opportunity for New Zealand, and it's focused in regions. And there's there's lots of places around the country where we think that that something like this would have significant benefits to those places. And um, Northland and Tauranga, Central North Island around um, Kaingaroa Forest, there's there's a vast array of opportunities and it you know we're targeting a certain number of products but it doesn't necessarily mean that those would have to be the products for other biorefineries and i think you know we don't see ourselves as a silver bullet as well but you know hopefully we can provide some sort of guidance and leadership to show that you know this is a step in the right direction and hope that other people will will come in and follow yeah what are the what are the timelines on this because it's pretty cool to have like the EU funding the proof of concept trial at the moment. So that kind of is a bit of a, a, a tick in the background there. Yeah. And what, what are the timelines to try and make it happen here? Um, we're about to enter into what we'd call our, our phase two development um, round, which is you know working working off the results that we pro- we've proven in the, in the last lot of trials and upscaling uh, the processing and amount of wood that goes through these pilot plant facilities to produce larger numbers of those products and work, work with more companies in an international setting to prove that our products can be integrated into their supply chains. And through that, we'd hope to generate enough demand to gauge what, you know, as Gatano was saying, where that sweet spot for the scale is going to be. And then... We'd hope that would happen over the next 12 to 18 months. And then it's probably about a two to three year project build build time to yeah. operation. And I imagine part of it is like on one level you're a platform where anyone could come up with a killer, you, you know, the killer app for how to use uh, these chemicals. But on the other hand, you have got those pilots where you're trying to actually prove out what the product might be that gets the the volume or the adoption to help change the way that these these companies are working like for example if it goes off for resin and it's cheaper and better and actually environmentally friendly the whole paint industry should move to it yeah Mm. exactly it's a real chicken and egg scenario because you know for some of these products and applications uh companies that we've talked to won't adopt it because there's not enough of that material on the market for them to justify an integration or there's too much risk profile for them to bring that material on board whereas other other companies are saying hey look you know, we haven't worked with this material before. We need larger volumes to trial it and see if it even works. So it's it's a balancing act. And because of the scale that we're trying to achieve, we have to play across all of those spaces. What's the reception like at the moment? Because it kind of, you know, it sounds like a pretty good idea. And there's definitely going to be some of these companies that, you know, your Patagonias of the world that, that are at the front of using new materials and the like. Um, but yeah, what, what's the what's the process like for actually... Getting those chats with the the decision makers and getting in front of them for you guys. Yeah, it's um, <clears throat> it's the conversations. I find that um, you you need to steer towards a, a goal because there, there is so much opportunity within the space that it's easy to you know have meeting after meeting and just talk about 
where we can possibly go and what we can possibly do. But I think just having concrete and really, well, concrete but yet fluid, if, if that's possible, plans on how you want to uh, um, approach development and just thinking about, you know, what are what does the analysis and the characterization say of our products? What does that align with? And you know, are there some things in there that um, that some brand owners can be receptive towards? And working with them on how we can best optimize that for them, and just show you know that there is a net positive um, yeah outcome from integrating that. I think is yeah one of the key steps for us as um as sort of the the material provider at this stage. We have to take a really pragmatic approach and look at what we can actually achieve now within the timeframes that we need to to justify doing what we're trying to trying to do, and then recognizing that there's some things that might be a five or ten year project or you know are, are really important to work on and future proof ourselves, but you know in the, the immediate term are, are not worth putting effort into. Mm. And what advice do you guys? Because I mean, I imagine that both of you are are out talking at a lot of these. Um, you know, new materials, uh, events and conferences and, and in that world. Like, what advice do you have for people who who are looking at things and going, man, there's got to be a better way to be doing this or have some science that they are interested in commercialising? Like, how do you go from the idea into, you know, being in the stages of working with governments and big chemical companies to put together a biorefinery? I think it's... Um you said talk out there talking to people that's that's really important we we tried to do a lot of work ourselves in the early days to try and prove things out ourselves and came to recognize that you know just through talking to people there's people willing to work with you and make their technology and things that they've already proven available and you know you can use that as a platform to leapfrog even further and work off things that are substantiated and proven and fast track yourself to be in a position where you can actually have a real impact Right, so sometimes licensing's better than than doing it all in the garage. It can, it can yeah. have its advantages. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I think that that just really plays in really nicely into um, how we can, you know, be a be a showcase for how New Zealand's future into the bioeconomy can look like. Um, you know, we've gone down this this licensing route um, and looking at these technologies for an you know, evaluating a whole series of um, different techs throughout the world and have come to uh, Sweetwater and MetGen's technology because we saw so much opportunity and um, strength within it. And, yeah, it just helps us advance advance and take that stage where um, if, if, if we hadn't, it looked like a very long and costly development pathway to that. So that was, um, yeah, one of our real key key steps along the way. And as a final thought, something that we, we like to ask everyone on the podcast, what, what will success look like for both futurity but also for you two? I think um, you know, the, the establishment of a commercial biorefinery that can realise all the jobs and you know, have, go some step towards providing more re- resilience in the regions is going to be a significant success factor for us as a company. And you know, being one of the first movers to, uh, as as a business, leapfrog New Zealand into a leadership position in the bioeconomy and prove it can be done. Um, yeah. yeah, yeah, and I think um, just to add on to that is, yeah, I think it will be <clears throat> tremendously rewarding. Um, and 
will be a real big sign of our success once we can start to see these materials being um, adopted into commonplace items. And, you know, that's when we can really start to conceptualize the positive impact that we're having from these materials and, um, you know, looking into the future of how much, you know, oil use we can mitigate and completely remove from from systems. Um, we're undertaking an LCA on the whole biorefinery and our materials to, to help us conceptualize you know what our what our footprint is of our products and then then we can go to companies and then say like yeah this is the this is the benefit of taking it and then these are the um net positive impacts of what we've got that's so cool well thank you so much for joining us today that's dr gatano didwell and jacob con of futurity thanks so much thank you thank you thank you tina tiller for producing and uh yeah keep an eye out for futurity thanks very much for having us along in your ears You've been listening to Business is Boring, presented by Simon Pound. And brought to you by The Spin-Off and Callahan Innovation. From The Spin-Off Podcast Network, that was Business is Boring, brought to you by SparkLab. Make sure you're following Business is Boring wherever you get your podcasts. And for more information on SparkLab, visit sparklab.co.nz. Are you making the most of your KiwiSaver investment? Generate is an award-winning KiwiSaver provider with a track record of strong long-term performance. Making a smart decision now could add tens of thousands of dollars by the time you reach retirement. Book a no-obligation chat with a Generate KiwiSaver advisor today at generatekiwisaver.co.nz slash advice. A copy of the product disclosure statement is available at generatekiwisaver.co.nz. The issuer of the scheme is Generate Investment Management Limited, and of course, past performance does not guarantee future returns. The Spin Off Podcast Network.